Welcome to yet another episode of When a Guy Has a Really Fucked Gender. As always, I'm your host, Jolene, and I have with me this week, Marie. Marie, would you like to say hello to the audience? Hello. And Are you Marie, all done? I'm doing good. I'm doing really good. I just recorded a premium episode about science fiction and Ooh, fun, nice. weird gender stuff. So if that sounds like something that would interest anyone listening right now um go sign up to the patreon and it should be coming probably soon um but we're not here to talk about science fiction i don't think i could talk about science fiction anymore if i tried that episode was like two and a half hours we're here to talk about catholicism (laughs) oh yeah marie how would you describe your gender uh at this point like i'd probably go with uh papist uh, transsexual demi woman i'd probably put autistic in there somewhere because i resonate with that although where in that adjective compound not quite sure okay oh yeah and a it's lot a of complex those... gender yeah i think papist is the one that's going to probably stand out to the audience the most as kind of a um wow i was not expecting that um, it was certainly not, I mean, I, I knew that we were going to be talking about Catholicism, but it was not uh, the word that I was expecting to he- to see uh, when you sent me the notes documents, at least in the context of a gender identity. But um, oh, yeah. I guess we'll kind of get into that um, as we kind of move throughout the episode. I guess my my first question, and I guess this is going to maybe provide a little bit of a a way to kind of break through um, a lot of different, uh, break into a lot of the different details that we're going to need to do this is, um, were you raised within Catholicism? Oh, yeah. Um, Cradle Catholic. Both my parents were Catholic. Uh, My dad's kind of been a lapsed Catholic since before I was born, but my mom's always been practicing Catholic. I kind of left, sort of left for a bit and then came back. It's complicated has to do with gender identity, actually, about why I left and came back. Interesting. So you were you were raised Catholic. Um, yep. Your dad your dad was lapsed. Your mom was your mom's always been practicing. Yep. Was your dad's did your dad's lapse kind of um, did your dad did your dad get more engaged sort of as you were? I know that right. I mean, in my mind. I'm he's not. never he's i can't remember him ever being a practicing catholic okay did he he didn't like come to church with you or your mother growing up or no okay did you attend church regularly growing up <clears throat> yeah my mom was always pretty good about trying to get us to go to mass uh so instead my dad would cook breakfast and we'd come home and have family breakfast which is nice okay was yeah. that ever like a, a source of tension in some way like was your was your mother ever like, you should really come to Mass with us or something? Or was it just kind of taken as and like, oh, well... Kind of, I think she kind of tried to push him to, to go to Mass a little bit. I don't quite remember, but I think he's pretty much always been a lapsed Catholic since since when they were married. Okay. Are they no longer married? Uh, yeah. Uh, they divorced like around the time they became an adult. Okay. Interesting. Okay. Oh yeah. So, so tell me a little bit about um, 
how gender was kind of present within your childhood. I guess to what extent was Catholicism a uh, influence on the environment of your childhood? Was this like a thing that you only really experienced through like mass and like Sunday school or did you go to a Catholic school or was it? So for uh, kindergarten and uh, part of first grade, I had been at a Catholic school. Um, and we had gendered uniforms and stuff. I don't remember if there was if there was that during kindergarten, but there definitely was during first grade. Um, and I don't know. I just didn't quite get it because I'm autistic and I have alexithymia, and so like gender and stuff. I like conceptually, it's emotions are harder to like feel, but also gender is something that's kind of hard to feel. Like, I've noticed this huge correlation between people who are, like, xenogender and autistic. Like, there's... It, it seems like almost... Like, myself, like, I, I think about xenogender. It's, like, kind of feels like gender almost sort of feels alien to me. But, like, yeah, it's, I kind of absorbed this message that, like, um, God wouldn't love me if I tried to be a girl, which was... Um, I don't think anyone explained it in that term but it's just like a series of like nudging like why what why can't i like wear a dress or whatever it's just like it just kind of gets builds up to the overall message like you can't and god wouldn't approve of you doing that and stuff there is like a specific like gendered role and that you are expected to have and that that is sort of that has a kind of moral weight within that sort of um the environment that kind of context well this is actually more of a cultural thing like i've dug a huge amount into the theology of catholicism and like catholicism has this gigantic history of like gender bending and all sorts of stuff going on yeah i mean it's i i we, we spoke a little bit about this in the dms I, I wanted to say more because i have um not a ton of knowledge but like a little bit of an interest and um, a good friend of mine was a theology PhD student at a Catholic university. Um, I suppose he's now graduated. Um, let me actually, I'm going to look up and see if his book, uh, if, he, if he ever published that book, because if he did, um, that would be a great thing to uh, tag in the comments. It doesn't look like he did. But um, we were we were discussing right that my a friend of mine uh, was working on at least a book about um, people who claimed to have had sex with Jesus. Um, and you, <laughs> you you said right that this was a phenomenon that you were aware of right that there was a lot of um, Catholic mystics um, and the sort of the gender the the gender bending that is kind of required within that when you have I guess sort of um the imposition of heterosexuality or i guess the sort of uh necessity of heterosexuality within this thing right if you are having a uh loving relation with christ um within the sort of confines of catholicism at least i guess maybe this isn't always the case i don't know if you know of any exceptions but my assumption would be that heterosexuality is enough of a force that there has to be that you you sort of permit some kind of gender bendy uh, stuff into the um, into the circle in order to to kind of square 
make everything uh, square the way that you want it to. But that certainly makes sense that um, there was, right, like that, there, that even though there is, you know, maybe this history within Catholicism and within, you know, certain Catholic cultures, I'm sure that there's practices that reflect those. Um, your specific Catholic culture didn't really seem to have much room for that. Is that correct, if I'm understanding things? Right, yeah, I kind of grew up in the white bread of North American Anglo context. Right, where, where Catholicism is very much, you know, I guess like sort of there's this heteronormative. Um, yeah. If you, yeah. Okay. Yeah, and... like there's a lot of saints that were very like gender bending and stuff. Like St. John of the Cross kind of, like a lot of his poetry and imagery was about a woman, a bride seeking her bridegroom, Jesus. Like, I don't know, it seems kind of interesting about like, it's, so it's not just about Christ as the bridegroom, but also very specifically the narrator is explicitly a woman seeking her love. Hmm. That's really interesting. Um, right, and this is, you know, sort of stuff that is written by, um, I mean, St. John, right? Uh, yeah. Of the cross, right? Who is a, is a man. Yeah. Um, Okay, well, that's really interesting. So um, you said that you were only in Catholic school from for kindergarten and first grade, though? Yeah, so what's kind of going on was autistic, and I had a lot of energy as a kid, and trying to get me to sit still and stuff, it didn't work out so well. Uh, like, just the long periods, like the sudden transition of, like, having to sit still and stuff, that did not do very well, so... Uh, I ended up having a meltdown and getting asked to leave, and that, that kind of sucked. But then I, I later ended up at, like, a Montessori school where it wasn't really, like, gendered in that way. There wasn't uniforms and stuff. All the kids played together at recess. I don't remember if there were, like, gendered washrooms or if it was, like, gendered, but, like, it was, like, a single stall thing. But there, there just weren't that many kids. Gender didn't really seem to play all that much of a role in it, which was good. Okay. Yeah, I've had a couple of other um guests that were that were have are products of Montessori schools. Um uh in uh came out as trans women. So <laughs> I I don't know what they're doing there. Um but um interesting. Um and how long did you did you sort of stay in Montessori school? Uh, until I, like sixth grade, I think sixth grade was like when I got during sixth grade is when I got moved to a public school. Okay, and was there a cause for that? Was it just sort of like, um, I guess I, I I'm only kind of like vaguely familiar with like the Montessori like uh, pedagogical. Um, approach but like was it sort of your parents wanted a more tradition wanted to sort of like a more traditional education for you did was there some kind of problem with the Montessori school or yeah, it was friction with teachers friction with teachers and stuff okay um friction with you and the teachers or your parents and the teachers or me and the okay. teachers okay like I've got a number of learning disabilities that were undiagnosed and caused a huge amount of frustration okay that's, that sounds difficult. Um, 
Okay, and so you moved to public school from this. What was that kind of adjustment like? Um, I got bullied a lot. Uh, locker rooms. We didn't have locker rooms at the Montessori school. Um, so the experience of locker rooms, uh, not good, did not like at all. Um, and then I like switched schools during seventh grade uh, to be closer to home. And that, that, was, that was even worse. Um, and so I had uh, kind of come nasty as a kid and I got sexually assaulted several times about that about guys touching me like they're mocking me because they had always been like super like been pretty feminine mm -hmm. I bet you walk like a girl you run like a girl you hit like a girl generic trans girl experience the not socialized as male but socialized as a sissy right does that make sense yeah no that's that's a yeah um not a uncommon experience that we've heard of um, on the show or just, you know, throughout life. Um, yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And did you remain at that school for the rest of your time or was there? Yeah, for middle school. And then I moved to a different school and uh, for ninth grade because that other school didn't go further. Um, okay. yeah, that's cool. That school was was very, very awful. OK. And then was high school kind of. Did this what what sort of what what era of like what 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 years were this I guess how, how old are you now? Yeah, uh, late twenties, early thirties. Okay, that's fair. Yeah, you can give a range. Um, <laughs> okay, and so okay, so this would have been. I'm a younger millennial. Yeah. Okay, so this would have been like probably around mid two thousands, right? Yeah. Okay. Hell of a time. I had like floppies for some of my classes still. Yeah. Well, I, I'm I'm sort of trying to place like was there right like you're you're sort of talking a lot about like um, being bullied for uh, sort of feminine mannerisms, um, gynecomastia. Was there any kind of like right? There's like a weird sort of like thin line between like specifically like. The, the kind of feminized feminizing bullying and like homophobic bullying and it's not always it's not necessarily really like a line i guess it's more like a blurred kind of spectrum i i guess i'm I'm curious if it was predominantly the kind of like feminized bullying or if there was also some homophobia in the mix or um i guess i don't know like i think, you, you... I think it was both and then i also uh got sexually assaulted by girls too okay so, um, sexual assault uh, by both. Yeah, I think I got sexually assaulted at least four times in high school, in middle, in middle school. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, it's the people. Some like you've seen the probably seen the Twitter discourse recently, but people talking about how, oh well, the sexual, the, the the physical and sexual violence against trans women. When they were kids, it's really just like bullying for boys. It's like no, like people pick up that there's like this feminine or othering vibe, and they use that, and they kind of use pick you as a target and a, and a victim because you're often on the outskirts and don't conform to gender roles and stuff. And 
Yeah. Uh, you be- you become a girl that they can hit, basically. Yeah, no, it, it's, um, I mean, my, my particular uh, position on that and way of describing it is just that you can be misogynistic towards uh, anyone, right, in the sort of, like, counterfactual of whether or not that person, I guess counterfactual is the wrong word, but the question of whether or not that person later, uh, or even at the time, right, uh, is trans or cis it's or like whatever. It's like for femininity. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. It's seeing femininity as inferior and contemptible and disgusting. Um, throughout all this time, I guess I'm, I'm sort of like right drawing on my knowledge of Catholicism from, I wasn't, uh, you know, raised Catholic, as I said, um, but mm-hmm. I have some Catholic family members and I, you know, knew people that were Catholic from school and stuff, right? Throughout this, I know that sort of like throughout this time, there's right, like confirmation and stuff like this. Was this something that you went through um, at the time? Yeah, so confirmation on a sacrament, like everyone, but often like the dress and attire and stuff was, um, is very, is actually highly gendered. Um, there's like a white A-line like dress often with, like, a veil is something. I think my church style there doesn't really, like, also having a veil, but, like, it tends to be highly gendered. Yeah. And that that wasn't good. And then there's also, like, picking, like, a confirmation saint. Um, Mm -hmm. A saint that you just, like, kind of, like, really uh, identify with. And, um... I, I really wanted to pick a girl one, but I felt I couldn't. Because it's kind of like, um, by that point, I'd been, this is like, uh, I don't, I think I was probably like pre-teens when this happened, when I was confirmed. And um, like by that point, you start to, even when you're autistic, you start to pick up on like social cues and stuff. And so like actually in Catholicism, there's nothing at all pre- preventing you from picking like a, a confirmation saint of a different gender. There's like nothing at all. It's especially historically like lots of girls have picked male saints and stuff and that's never been an issue. There's not actually an issue with any guys picking girl saints either but I felt I couldn't because I had to perform boyhood and masculine right. and like by that point like masculinity was taking on like it's an act that I have to do. It's not something that I have And you said this is happening in your late teens. How are you? No, no, preteens. Or, oh, preteens, right? Okay, that makes more sense. I was like, I thought confirmation happened earlier than that, but um, it's usually preteens or early teens. Yeah, that was that was sort of what I thought. I remember it being like kind of like middle school era type thing. Um, how yeah. did how how did you sort of feel about it at the time? Were you sort of like excited about it? Did you think like? Yeah, what, what was your sort of feeling about it at the time? Uh, I don't remember. I just remember that the saint that I ended up picking was because just like indecision, like I, I, I couldn't like pick a girl saint, but I, I didn't want to pick a boy saint. So I, I just kind of like ended up with one that was just like around that just like, like threw a dart at the wall, proverbially. Yeah. Okay. And throughout 
Right. So this is kind of I'm I'm juggling a couple and spinning a couple different plates here. Um, what mm-hmm. is your kind of knowledge of right? Like you you say you get like sexually assaulted a handful of times throughout uh, middle school, which is sort of contemporaneous with this, uh, with I guess confirmation. What um, what is your knowledge of like sex? I guess I remember. Um, Last time I was back home, I was hanging out with a group of friends, um, most of whom are Catholic and, or who were raised Catholic. I don't know if any of them would currently still call themselves Catholic, um, but they were discussing um, the sort of sex ed that they got as children, and um, I mean specifically, right? Like they were they were sort of like given like sex ed through the church was. Was that kind of something that was happening with you, or did you just get sex ed at school, or did your parents? I got it in school. I was in a liberal state. I don't, I don't remember if I got like a sex ed talk from my parents. I think my dad tried to talk to me about it. I, I don't remember. Mm-hmm. Like I'm pretty sure I had like a class that was on sex ed. Okay. In school, not like a whole like semester long thing but like a module or something right right yeah like i had a a half year health course and part of that was on sex ed part of that was on drugs part of that was on nutrition and exercise and stuff like that and i don't remember if we talked about drugs we definitely did talk about uh drugs and stuff in scouting i was in scouting and i tried to do that to make my mom and dad happy and i got eagle scout oh wow (laughs) i dropped out at i want to say star i forget um (laughs) my scouting history is very uh very funny i'll talk about it sometime maybe (laughs) yeah i actually know a lot of trans girls who are like eagle scouts or whatever or altar boys it's like when when you're really trying to perform masculinity i i didn't like fit in with the boys like i didn't know why i just i just couldn't identify with them like the the troop was pretty liberal but like gay people still weren't allowed yeah um i had a i had a a handful of kind of homoerotic encounters throughout through boy scouts um (laughs) (laughs) but um, the gay people weren't allowed but it happens at summer camp yeah right and then um i uh (laughs) One of the. I'm not gonna say this on the air. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, I my mother was a Girl Scout leader, and I always wanted to do that more than the Boy Scout stuff. Um, do you know what adventuring is? Yeah, yeah. I always thought about doing that, but by the time that I was like sort of the right age for that, I had um become physically disabled in a way that made me kind of nervous to. Yeah, it happens. Um, but uh, yeah, no, th- those those always those guys always seemed super cool. I was like, damn, that's that's. Oh yeah, I ended up in venturing because like I wasn't really relating to uh, the Boy Scouts and stuff. Um, right. And so I ended up being in venturing, and I felt a bit better about that. And then it kind of got to this point because like most of the girls in venturing were actually the ones who've been like jealous of boys being able to be Boy Scouts and stuff. They were like in Girl Scouts and stuff, and because the Girl Scout troops were kind of lame where that we were, and it was like the very feminine stuff, 
Like, there are Girl Scout troops which are just, like, crazy outdoors and that kind of stuff, but most aren't. And so I ended up with, like, a venturing crew of, like, a bunch of tomboys. And it was... I ended up kind of being the only quote-unquote boy there, but, like, my energy wasn't that masculine. So... I sort of just like ended up in some cases being treated more like one of the girls by the other girls there, and that was nice. Okay, that's and, really that's really yeah. really interesting. Yeah, v- venturing for the for the I guess for the un- for the audience, <clears throat> the uninitiated, is like a kind of co-ed like adjunct to I guess the sort of scouting the Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts that you're more familiar with. It's like the the age range is like, it overlaps with Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts, but also oh. extends past them, I think. It's like, is it like 16 to 21 or something like it's that? 14 I think? to 21. 14 to 21, okay. Um, and so it's and you like, get to do some more cool stuff. Like, yeah, uh, instead like, of just 22 rifles, you can have a handguns and stuff. Yeah, like they, they teach like shooting pistols and like more extreme outdoorsy stuff like more backpacking it's it's like a very outdoorsy type thing um yeah i was i was not um i always thought venture venture scouts sounded cool but i was um i mean yeah like by the time i was kind of the age for it i had a lot a lot of life things had happened that just made that not really like a practical thing for for me to get involved with um that was like yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Guess... In- interestingly, there was one memory of being at camp that seems to have mostly inoculated me against all the AGP brainworms. Um, oh, what's that? <laughs> oh, um, so it was like so we were at camp, uh, like a-, a big scout camp thing. <clears throat> I being the only boy was in my own tent, but I wasn't that far from the girls. And the girls were all just like it's a big tent. They're like chatting and stuff and. One of the girls is just like talking about how like her dad wanted to know why she wanted different colored panties and like just like she just likes how they look and she, like it's for her and not for it's not like about showing them to guys. It's like she just likes how they look on her. Oh yeah, no, that's yeah, that's you that can see how that would sense. actually be really good inoculation against AGP brainworms. It's like. Yeah, no, I think that a lot of just, like, I don't know, I feel like a lot of that kind of, for for me, like, I was very much, like, yeah, like you say, inoculated just by, like, being friends with a lot of sluts in high school. (laughs) When I say slut, I mean that lovingly. Um, But, like, yeah, I don't know, just, like, a certain kind of girl that is, like, yeah, I don't know, uh, into, into her own shit. And uh, I love I love them all. I loved them all uh, dearly. Um, but um, yeah, okay. So did you join venturing when you were like fourteen? Or uh, yeah, I think I got more involved when I was more like fifteen or sixteen. Like at that point, I just didn't want to be a part of Boy Scouts anymore. Okay. I wasn't necessarily super into venturing, but. I did do a bit better there in the co-ed environment. It was kind of like uh, how like the gender dysphoria started picking up in my late teens. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So like I was kind of disruptive in school, but also clearly very intelligent. And so in ninth grade, the principal summoned my mother and demanded this and sat us both down and basically explained, you know, high school isn't for everyone if you consider playing our child in college. Oh, so did you do that? No, she wanted to make sure that I was, because uh, I acted, wasn't very good at social skills. So she wanted to make sure I got socialized with my peers, okay. which... Uh, for an autistic person, is actually basically torture. Yeah, I can understand that that would not be the... I can I can see why a parent that is not terribly informed on these things would think that that is a good thing, but also knowing many autistic people, I understand that that is, yeah, often, often not the best thing. Um, for I you. always preferred the company of adults. Um, so the best part here is my mother knew I was autistic, but no one ever told me. Oh. So um, I was having meltdowns and stuff, and I had no idea what was going on. And sometimes people would get hurt. And I thought that there was something wrong with me and that I was damaged and a terrible human being. Yeah, I can imagine the kind of like guilt um, from that. And I mean... <laughs> It's it's tempting, right, to make a joke here about Catholic guilt, um, but <laughs> go I mean, for it, do it. But no, um, but yeah, um, sorry, I, I I'm like as I said, sort of spinning a lot of plates here. What was your kind of knowledge of, I guess, like queerness, queer community? that sort of stuff like around this time, right? You, like you said that you grew up in like a kind of liberal state, um, but also, right, had this, you know, Catholic home environment. Were your, what, what, were your parents like, did, how, how were they reacting to, I guess, like the sort of, um, did they know about the sort of gender nonconformity and I guess like the specific like sex character of the abuse that you were enduring at school? Did they... I didn't tell them until later when I told my mom. She told me I was making it up. Okay, that's not good. Um, yeah, unfortunate. So they didn't they didn't pick up on the gender nonconformity at all or anything like that. I think a lot of it was I was just weird, and they chalked it up to me being autistic. Okay, and so was there any kind of I guess what was the like kind of presence of queerness like in your life? Was it was it present at all? Was it just kind of like, oh, that's not a thing that we think about or talk about or worry about because we're catholic was there like casual homophobia going around what was kind of no if my parents weren't homophobic um like one of their family friends was a gay man um and yeah there any issues about that i just didn't kind of like see myself like him he was kind of like mask and had like the leather kind of vibes because you know uh i don't know gay men who work as cops and are masculine just tend to give me like leather oh. culture vibes yeah no i mean that's that's often kind of like a thing that's that's in the kind of uh the kind of air around that <laughs> okay when and like you... my mom had a trans woman like acquaintance in like the 90s and stuff but i don't remember knowing any trans women Okay. You did you did you know about this woman at the time or No, I have no okay. recollection. 
this person at all. Just something that your mother told you about, like after the fact. Yeah. Okay. When did you when did you kind of become aware of the existence of trans people? Um, so like I don't know, I was like maybe eight or something. I was staying at my grandparents' house for the summer. Um and there was like this program on that was talking about like transsexual women or whatever, because this would have been like, I don't know, the 90s or something. Late 90s, early 2000s. I don't, might not have been eight, but like it's just kind of like around that. And you know, like the, the darker backgrounds and like some of them are like in like shadow or whatever. And there's talking about like the surgery and that kind of stuff. And I found it like, interesting. But I don't know if I like related to it. But of course, like I don't, I don't know how much an eight-year-old can tr to relate to like fifty-year-olds, even if they're also, even if both of them are trans women. Yeah, you know I mean? no, the, yeah, there, there, there's kind of a lot of distinction, and I mean, especially right, like given the kinds of contexts in which like you would have heard about trans people at the time, right? Um, like you said, right? Like you said, this was like a TV show or something. So it's like the it was like a documentary thing yeah. or whatever. Yeah, like the, the the parts of a trans woman, the parts, right? If we want to talk about like how a like trans girl that is like you know under ten years old might see something in herself in like a you know older trans woman, that that stuff is not going to be the stuff that you would necessarily see on. A documentary. I mean, maybe it, maybe it would. I don't know. I feel like a lot of times, it depends because there's so many different ways that people do that whole weird thing. Like sometimes they do like, were you like, you know, did you like dance as a child or something? Were you like a, no. you know, oh no, no, I'm not, I'm not asking you. I'm like, no, well, yeah, like, like I wasn't like Cub Scouts and Boy Scouts yeah, and all that no, stuff. Like, right, the the sort of, um, uh. Yeah. Um, and then yeah. we didn't like have media at home, so like people will talk about like seeing trans women on like Maury Povich and Jerry Springer and stuff, and we didn't really have television, so I didn't see that stuff, and we didn't really watch movies or whatever, so I didn't see like the infamous Ace Ventura thing. Right. I, I didn't see that one either, actually. Um, I still haven't. Um, but yeah, no, like that that's like a common um right, like reference point for a lot of um a lot of people among kind of like our generation. Um, yeah. Yeah, and so like later on I would read the paper. Uh, my dad would encourage me to read the paper and stuff, and where I was, um there was this murder trial involving uh Brown trans girl who had been brutally murdered um and it was like a trans panic defense mm -hmm. and the trial just played out for years and years and then there's the debates about the trans panic um laws about whether to ban that and stuff and they, they did but like that just kind of like I didn't know why I related to her, but like I felt some kind of connection to her. Yeah. And like the media was terrible. 
calling her by her dead name um, and stuff. And she was Catholic and got a Catholic funeral. But like looking back now, it's like the priest uh, referred to her as her dead name, unsurprisingly. And this would have been like 20 years ago. So like a, a Christian priest like calling it trans woman by her dead name when she hadn't like transitioned like medically or like legally and stuff that's that's not surprising mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. It, it was that i i still haven't really processed that kind of stuff yeah i remember finding out about that um that that case when i was uh I mean, I didn't know about it at the time. I think I read about it when I was, like, probably in 19 or 20, and I was just, like, it was just, like, I don't know. It was, like, one of those things where I just, like, you know, kind of just wanted to cry. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, so I don't know how how does the rest of your teenage years go though? Like, what's the when do you yeah? How, how do the rest of your teenage years go? Um, I don't know. But mid teens, I started to notice like an attraction to guys, and I, I didn't really process it. It was it was confusing because like I knew gay people, and I was attracted to guys. But something seemed different. Like, the way I was drawn to guys was, like, different. I don't know how to explain it. Like, No, I mean, that, that, that sounds a lot like kind of my experience, right? Like, I knew I was attracted to men from a pretty early age, and but didn't really understand that. That attraction didn't feel like the... I mean... Right, I guess I, I'm bisexual, and I've always kind of uncomplicatedly been so. I was always clear to me that that was the sort of case, but I always felt as though the way that I liked girls didn't align with the way that the boys around me liked girls, and the way that I liked men didn't align with the way that the sort of gay men that I knew liked men. And so... um. Yeah, no, I mean, like, I guess I say that to say, like, I don't know exactly how to cash all that out, right? Because it seems like there's a, um, it seems like there's, right? Like, I, I don't want to be, like, you know, I don't want to, like, give, like, there's, like, some kind of, like, essential, there's some kind of essence to gay men's attraction to men that is distinct from, like, attraction to men. But it, it did it did sort of feel like it was, like, a kind of thing that confused me at the time and I didn't really know what to do with um which I guess I, I mean to say like if, if I'm understanding you correctly right like that you were attracted to men but not in like an idiom that made sense to you within um like the idea of being a gay man is that right right yeah it didn't really like make sense to me um it's like I couldn't the narratives I couldn't make the narratives click it just didn't resonate with me like even even like femme gay guys just it it just there's something like different 
about it. And like, I was sort of attracted to girls, but it was really weird because I could never see myself with the girl, like how a man is with the girl. And, like, there was something about femininity that I was drawn to and I wanted, but I I didn't know how to process it. Yeah. No, I mean, that's not an uncommon experience, I think, um, for, for a lot of people. Um, what... Um, Did, did you like come out? Did you come out at all, or did you just keep this? Right. I, I guess I understand. Like, if you're feeling confused about it, it would make a lot of sense. Um, uh, yeah. Like, I, I did. Co- I did come out. Like, I don't know. Like after high school. Mm-hmm. Um. During high school, even in the senior year, um, I was still like fake, kind of fake being a straight boy uh but it was just kind of like gradually unraveling and in senior year i grew this horrendous like dysphoria stash and seeing and i i'm I'm pretty sure i skipped picture day and also skipped makeup picture day something about pictures I've, i've there there had always been this uncanny sensation when I looked at a picture and I could intellectually recognize that the person in the picture was me, but on an emotional level, it was like staring at, it was like looking at someone else. Interesting. The depersonalization, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. No, like, I okay, mean... It got pretty bad. Yeah. No, I, I remember there were sort of experiences of like um myself sort of like confusing what I was attracted to in men and what I wanted for myself and then being really like um very like kind of like weirdly upset when like right, like I like facial hair and like when I would try to grow facial hair for myself, I would be like, Oh, I hate this and then I'd be like, Why do I hate this? I think that this is hot. But yeah, I just I don't know. I just never really sort of made. Um, oh, I had to shave in the shower when I when I was shaving and stuff because I just I just physically couldn't look at myself in the mirror. Um, like I just had this like this this really visceral sensation of like looking in the mirror one day shaving, and I started. This is like my mental health had really really gone downhill at this point. Um, I think this might have, I don't know if this is before or after my first suicide attempt, um, but, like, I remember looking at in the mirror and looking at my face and just wondering about, like, peeling it off. Yeah. It yeah. was, it was not good. Peel that. And after the first attempt, like, I was, there's because of how depersonalized I was, there was this period where I was pretty sure I was convinced that, like, I was actually dead and that, like, I was in purgatory. Okay. That's... 
That's scary. Oh, it, it, it's it's entirely disturbing to to yeah. just like deal with that kind of stuff. Yeah. So how did um how did coming out as as gay go? Uh, I had difficulty like talking to my parents. I ended up posting it on Facebook, and um, my mom was in the grocery store, and she got called by like my cousins, and it's like, did you see this? And then like she got called by a bunch of people, and then she came home and braided me, and then then I made my first suicide attempt. Oh my goodness! From the rejection, um. She took it pretty badly. Um, yeah. I was still pretty religious. I was like, okay, um, well, I'm going to be chased. I'm going to be celibate. Um, not going to pursue relationships and stuff. And it wasn't good. And like, I, there's this organization called Courage, which is a Catholic organization. And it's like semi XK, like, the XK movement in itself is like pretty Protestant. The Catholic has owns somewhat different version of it. Uh, but yeah, like a reform that I had been on um, and Catholicism and stuff. And like I met a guy and I, I met up with him because the, the big the, the big city nearby that they uh, met in and that guy were in the same city, so I met up with him, pretending to go to uh, the courage meeting. And he was pretty cool, and we developed a long-term friendship about, like, Catholic theology and stuff. I mean, sometimes I had five-hour conversations all night, basically, about Catholic theology. That stuff was always very fascinating to me. Uh, and then, like, the, the next month, I did actually go to the meeting. And it just, like, it was like a 12-steps approach to, like, homosexuality, <laughs> which is just, like... Like I was a teenager. I, I was a virgin. Like I wasn't obsessed with like gay porn. I wasn't like fantasizing wildly about men. Like I had never kissed a boy. I had never been on a date. So it's like the twelve step approach is like, what the fuck is this? Like, just, <laughs> it just wasn't useful. I love I love um when people take 12 steps and try to make it work for things besides alcohol. I mean, 12 steps, I think, are, are dubious for alcohol and drug use even. But, like, you see, I know of, um, there was a, uh, there was an attempt someone made to do 12 steps um, for suicidality for, like, which is, like, the most, like, batshit insane idea I've ever heard. Like, how the fuck does... How the fuck do you twelve step your way out of being suicidal? Like that's like what what the what the what the fuck? <laughs> what? What? You know if we're talking specifically about chronic suicidality, maybe I could sort it see how it's beneficial, but like no. No. <laughs> It just seems extremely strange. Oh, it's it, it's just it, it's just pretty bad. I remember, I don't know, like for some reason, just like just remembering like my childhood, like kind of crushing on Gillian Anderson and the X Files. Okay. 
because we sometimes had um, TV and I don't know. I just really liked her and I thought maybe I was attracted to her. And then I'm like, wait, after I started thinking about my gender, like I sort of realized like, no, I actually just kind of wanted to be her. She's, she's, she's a good one. She's a good one to want to be. <laughs> um, yeah. Like she's just like this super rational, like person. Um, and she, she's like a devout Catholic too. in the, in the show. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. I always forget about that. Um, when do you kind of start thinking about yourself as trans or start considering the possibility of being trans, right? Uh, it just kind of like gradually happened. I think there was like multiple times and then burying it as, as far as I could. Like, often, there's not, like, one moment. There's, like, multiple moments. And then you can't, or, like, this pushback or whatever. And you just kind of, like, shove it down. It's like learning in elementary school. Like, no, you can't do all that stuff because you're a boy. It's like, what, what do you mean? And it's like having to process that and, like, realize, oh, okay, it's I can't. And then just, like, just repeatedly shoving it down. And, like, so that <clears throat> friend I had mentioned, um, we've been talking to a lot about theology, like, he was the first person I talked to about this, like, recurring pattern of nightmares that was just, like, actually kind of disturbing. Like, it was just, like, there was this, like, a, I don't know, it's, like, preteen girl wearing this, like, white A-line dress. Like, you'd, you'd wear, like, First Communion. And it wasn't, like, sexual or anything, but, like, it would always end up with me um, either strangling or suffocating her. And, like, I don't like causing people pain and distress and like this just caused recurring anxiety and stuff and then I started once I finally started like getting that I was trans like I had a, a related dream about her but then I just sat down with her um and the setting was like outside the, the Catholic parish we were sitting by a statue of Mary and we just kind of talked and I realized, like, she was actually me. Which is, like, in retrospect, like, that is, that is a very trans train. Just, like, recurring nightmares about needing to strangle the girl version of you. Yeah. <laughs> From an age that, that's, like, <laughs> very close, that are, like, highly gendered relating to this thing right about the start of puberty and stuff. Like... <laughs> That's very trans, and there was like late teens. Like I, I learned about consecrated virgins and stuff, and like I was super envious of the relationship with Jesus. Like that's just like just incredible Catholic egg trans girl vibes to it. Mm -hmm. So I was basically like consecrated virgins, like uh, virgins that take like a vow of like perpetual virginity. Um. And, like, you're basically being married to Jesus, and the ceremony for it involves, like, the bishop. And it's, like, a lot like a wedding ceremony, and you normally wear, like, oh, a wedding dress, basically, and taking the vows and stuff. It's it's really strange. I don't know how to explain it to, like, a non-Catholic. 
because mostly the Catholic Church is like the only like major Christian church that does the whole celibacy thing. Yeah. Even though it's got like major historical Christian things. Right. I think part of it might have been just because like but like I was like attracted to like masculinity and wanted it to connect to me, but like I couldn't necessarily see myself like in relationship with a guy, like what that would look like. I think part of that was because I couldn't conceptual had difficulty conceptualizing myself as a woman and I was just repressing it. And then I started to figure out that I was trans. Like like going back to the school thing like i was super smart at the beginning and like the dysphoria got so bad that i repeated senior year because i had failed so many classes um and i just barely made it out because i, I no longer had a will to live and then I, I barely survived high school and then i went to college and i had my first like obvious crush on a guy and then um like i was also I, I couldn't figure out. I was super confused because I knew I liked this guy, but I wanted to be his girlfriend and I couldn't understand, like, but how can it be his girlfriend? I'm a guy. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, 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 I think that's not a, that's, that's not an uncommon experience I've heard at all from, um, yeah, I don't know, trans women that are attracted to men. Um, or, well, yeah, no, exactly that. Um, what? Where was I going? So, right, you say it's like kind of a, when, when do you make the decision to transition then? You say that there's like this kind of ongoing kind of, cycle of oppression that kind of I guess it seems like it kind of weakens and comes more and more to the front and becomes more and more um transitioning seems more and more plausible to you um when does it become the decision when is it like do you remember like when you kind of like make the decision of like this is the thing I want to pursue or sure so um I had it was after that and then it was like on a gaming forum or whatever. Uh, unsurprisingly, grand strategy. That's uh, it's where, the, it's where like all <laughs> there, there do seem to be a lot of autistic trans girls who end up on gaming forums and stuff, especially grand strategy. Uh, the, the paradox playing trans girl, you know. Um, so right. I, I met my first trans girl there, and I talked to her because I found her like cur curious and learning about it, and, and kind of. The stuff she's talking about, like, this feels too relatable. Um, and then it finally, like, did some research and stuff. Um, and then it kind of sunk in, oh, yeah, this actually um, describes uh, who I am. And um, then I attempted suicide a second time. That was, like, your um, immediate reaction to realizing this was attempting suicide. Yeah, because um, my mom didn't accept me being gay, and I really didn't think she accepted me being trans. Um, and I thought that I was a freak, and um, that it was an abomination, and it would be better off for everyone if I just 
died, and then I wasn't a very good son, but at least then in the end, I could have had a son. Um, sort of whatever transitioning would make me. Well, I'm glad that it was not uh, completed. It was not successful. But um, did you, what was like the aftermath of this that people knew that you were trans or, um, right? Like, I, I don't know if you, like you left a note that would have admitted to these. No, 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 I didn't leave it note or anything like no one that ended up finding out okay um, so then how long is there in between that and or i guess like what happens from that point um after that i i like because catholicism has a very extremely strong taboo against suicide mm -hmm. um and so i realized i had i was morally obligated to seek help and so then i started getting therapy again um, pretty seriously for the uh, the second time, the first time, like it was in middle school and stuff, and I'd been put in therapy and it wasn't all that effective. I don't remember how that went, but this time um, sort of trying to work on depression and stuff, like, like thinking, you know, maybe if I fix the other parts of me, then this thing will go away. But like the almost like basically attempting conversion therapy, but my psycho, but like hiding the fact that I was trans and trying to do this from my psychologist and stuff. Um, and then I tried a bunch of different antidepressants, and just like none of them worked because um, it turns out that uh, antidepressants aren't effective when actually your life is just like shit, and you want to die because. Like, no, actually, things are miserable. Like, not that you've been trapped in, like, this doom loop or, like, you're thinking about it badly, but, like, no, things are just objectively bad. Like, if a woman's depressed because her, her husband beats her, like, antidepressants aren't going to do any good. Yeah, no, that doesn't, that's not how that, yeah, exactly. Like, okay. if she gets removed from the situation, then she can, like, deal with it. Like, gender dysphoria is just, like, it was intense, and it was a very bodily thing. Right. On more than a couple of occasions, I stood there in the kitchen just, just holding this knife, thinking about, should I cut it off? Yeah. Yeah. I had some, experience, some similar experiences. So... Yeah. So then eventually I started realizing that none of this is working. And it's like, here's the therapy didn't work. I had like tried everything on antidepressant front. I was getting panic attacks that were getting so bad. Even benzodiazepines didn't work. Okay. It's like, I had come to terms with such realization that my situation was pretty fucked and basically my options were keep trying to kill myself or transition and then if that doesn't work then i can kill myself and since suicide is the you know you definitely can't do that 
and transitioning seemed wrong, but I couldn't actually find any solid theological reason that it was actually an invalid option. I picked that. And so I decided to start transitioning. And uh, in uh, I had actually done like an in, uh, intensive inpatient thing, and I admitted to the first time um, to anyone else that I was like trans. Uh, after that, like like I'd been kind of like psychologically sucked into like the MRA orbit stuff, like not on like an MRA or whatever, but like getting into that kind of thinking and like watching YouTube videos and stuff, and like there was also like a hatred towards femininity and stuff because like i desired it but i couldn't have it kind of like if i can't have it then no one can have it like attitude and like i think i did an mostly okay job of asking it but like i ended up with some like fairly negative attitude towards women and it was in a group therapy thing and i just kind of like snapped at a woman um and then one of the psychologists like pulled me aside and I just kind of like broke down and admitted that like the reason that I was angry is because I was just very envious that she was a woman and I wasn't. And then I talked to uh, my psychologist who I'd been seeing at the time, um, and he it, like was like right about to leave. And you know. Um, in retrospect, the fact that I, I didn't talk to him, like, even though he's a young guy, um, it was good that I didn't talk to him because he had actually studied at uh, Chem H under, uh, was this this place in uh, Toronto uh, that's Center for Addiction and Mental Health. Previously, part of it was known as the Clark Institute. And it was kind of run by this uh, the, the student named Ken Zucker. Oh, yeah. That's that's a name I know. <laughs> and also this Ray Blanchard dude. Yeah. Uh, so given that he had studied there in like the trans stuff, the gender stuff, uh, I'm pretty sure I dodged a bullet there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so so this older guy who didn't like really understand stuff. And it was like the DSM had like come out mm -hmm. <clears throat> the new the new dsm so i remember like talking about gender identity sort of with them so i don't know if that might have been the diagnosis okay or it might have been gender dysphoria uh, i don't remember but like that yeah, was over 10 years ago so okay. I, I was I, I was a true tran in the sense that i got the, the formal diagnosis thing I don't actually think you need a diagnosis, but got got the got the little paper to to prove I'm a I'm a real 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 trans, you know. And then I got referred to uh, an endocrinologist, and uh, just underpacking all the gender stuff. Really fun because whenever I'd go to my family doctor or my endocrinologist, and like initially I only got started on like a month supply, and then a three month supply. And then another three month supply, and just all of these appointments. And every single time they would weigh me 
And the nurses would always make a comment on my weight. I had like a BMI of like 28 or 29. And they'd tell me I needed to lose weight. And it turns out that like and a lot of trans girls, especially when they're coming to terms with being trans, are just are, are basically are, are basically girls who are also who are also very emotionally fragile at that state and have very very poor body image, and have a whole bunch of trusted professionals tell her she's fat and she needs to lose weight. Unsurprisingly, I ended up with eating basically an eating disorder, and uh, I started losing a lot of weight. And um, I dropped down significantly in weight. And by the time I had realized I was having a problem, um, I could sort of see my ribs in the mirror. My hair was falling out and I collapsed at work. And I realized, oh shit, I have a problem. So that's kind of like how, how, how the doctors gave me an eating disorder. I think officially it wouldn't qualify as anorexia because I never really got into the underweight and it would be more like an eating disorder not otherwise specified but it was also just like I'd been with like a social organization, social club um, one of the things we did was like a happy or sad dollars, we'd have like dinner and stuff and then we'd have like put in like happy dollars or sad dollars whatever and then like I didn't talk about like losing weight because I was losing like multiple pounds a week um well I, I think with the with the diagnosis thing right like the the fact that anorexia has a bmi associated with a diagnosis makes like literally zero sense right if you're talking about like sort of the behavior is the problem right um not like the sort of extent of the behavior but um but i i understand what you mean um i understand what you're talking about and so it's worth yeah. noting that, like, I was still eating plenty of food, but okay, I had a very physically demanding job, and so okay. because of that, even though I was eating enough, that would be meet like the food guidelines oh. or like the two thousand calorie thing. I was still running a significant caloric deficit. So yeah. because of that, it looks like I'm eating enough, but I'm still losing a ton of weight. Like, I'd right. lose, like, a couple pounds a week. Um, and I think I ended up losing, like, by the end, it was, like, 70 pounds in, like, 12 to 18 months. Okay. And, like, I go along, like, a happy dollar. like, oh, yeah, I lost this weight. And, like, people are like, oh, very happy for me. And it felt good. And it felt like I was exercising control in my life because, like, it felt like a lot of stuff was out of my control. Yeah. Like being able to have some sense of order and stuff. And it's like for the first part, like I kind of could have lost a couple pounds. So, um, like when, when you're like, when you objectively qualify as overweight, like n no one is bothered if you're losing a couple pounds a week at that point, right? Because I was over like 200. It wasn't actually that bad. And uh, like, I'm tall. Yeah. I'm like 6'3". Um, yeah, I mean, like, my BMI is higher than the number that you said earlier. Yeah. 
It was. Yeah, I don't know. I had yeah, like eating, eating disorders are suck. And yeah, no, it, it was like, it was not. Good. Please don't take anything. Anyone's listen. Please don't take any of this as like an endorsement of eating disorders. It's not worth it. Yeah, it the, wasn't good. The the only advice, um, the only important, the only thing you should really think about with food is like making sure that you're getting enough and making sure that you're getting enough of the good stuff that um i don't know uh protein's important <laughs> yeah <laughs> i saw Very much that, so. th this is like tangential did you see that tiktok that was like going around the other day of that trans woman where she's like it's not about the hormones it's not about the surgeries it's not about all this stuff and then she's like you know what it is about and then she like launches on this like long tangent about all the different food she's got from the food bank and how good it is and, like, and then she's like and that's what it's about it's about fats it's about proteins it's about the omegas it was like it was like it's like up there with the um if you remember that tweet that was like uh that was like you're eating for two um yourself and the tits and ass queen that you're becoming um, I, I didn't see that when i saw the tiktok thing but yes yeah. that's that that's fantastic it's kind of like the, yeah. the trans way it's like you're you gotta you gotta make sure to tell them like you're a growing boy you gotta eat yeah no exactly um <clears throat> i still kind of struggle with like eating disorder stuff like a year like a decade on just because like part of it is uh so lent uh is a thing that catholics do um and we're actually in lent right now it's the period between ash wednesday and easter um <clears throat> and so like giving up and so like on fridays you don't eat meat and historically there's been like a, a large element of like fasting and penance in it and so i would like try to do like a food restriction thing um and that would just like quickly spiral into like i need to stop doing this because it just kind of like causes relapsing spirals this year i've actually been much better at it and i was able to also give up meat on wednesday but i've been been good about it and not spiraling about it and i've been able to enjoy like i'll actually make sure that i'm eating meat on the other days and like, I'm actually eating proper nutrition and getting enough food on Wednesdays and Fridays and trying to not beat up myself about it. So, like, it almost feels like it's feeling like I've actually properly recovered from it at this point. That's kind of nice. That's awesome. I'm glad to hear that. That rolls. I love, we love to hear that. I've been trying to um, do better lately, but it is. I don't know. It's difficult. Um, but I think I'm doing good. I think I'm doing good. Yeah. Um, Where she grew up uh, with my siblings, because they were both younger. Um, and I stayed with my dad, because uh, I wanted to stay for school and stuff. And, like, moving seemed pretty big. Um, and I start. I, I eventually came out to him, and I started at that point, like, I started going to church again. My dad was actually pretty supportive. Like, you could see that, like, me going to the support group and stuff, like, I was, like, smiling, and my baseline mood was happy. 
And when I had started transitioning, he hadn't seen me smile in at least five years. Like, I was perpetually depressed and gloomy and morose and all of those kinds of words. And so, like, he saw that I was happy again to him. Like, that was worth a lot. Yeah. And so he was pretty accepting, and my mom seemed like she was coming around to it. I decided that, like, school was cheaper in Canada. It's, like, a lot cheaper because I was a citizen. Uh, she said she'd be supportive. Well, actually, I should talk about, like, the church and stuff first. Um, so, like, I'd really, I'd, I'd, like, one day I'd been, like, really doubting my transition and, like, if transitioning was the right move. And then there was just, like, a voice, like, telling me to go to church. And I was afraid and I, like, pushed back. And then it kind of, like, came across as more forceful, like it was a direct order. And... I went to church, the church that I'd grown up at, and people knew me ever since I was a little kid. And there weren't that many people of my ethnic group there. So I was afraid that people would see me because I like I was wearing girl clothes and I, I went. And because I had been starting to have panic attacks, that's why I stopped going to church. And this time I went, instead of feeling anxiety, I just felt at peace. Just, like, tranquility. And, like, it's really hard to, I don't know how to describe it. It's, like, there's just, like, all this inner turmoil and chaos. And just inside, it just, like, becomes calm it's like a raging storm it's like it temporarily just turns and it's like being on a lake and it just turns like glassy smooth and it's peaceful and i liked that and i started to go to church again um <clears throat> not just just on sundays but um during the week because uh Cal uh, most Catholics don't go to like daily mass, but like masses, most churches uh, that have a permanent priest attached to it will have mass every uh, day. And so, because of my work schedule allowed it, I would go like multiple times a week, and I liked that and I enjoyed it. And I also found that like if I didn't go in girl mode and I tried to boy mode, I would feel that same sense of discomfort. So like it was almost like going to church. I was forced to be a girl for church and stuff, which was a very interesting feeling. Um, okay. Yeah, that does sound really interesting. Yeah, so it's like feeling forced to be a girl and stuff for that. Uh, and then there's a group of church ladies who would stay after math. They'd pray the rosary and stuff. And I kind of joined them. And I, I looked like a church lady too. Like, Never bare shoulders, never bare midriff. Like sometimes I'd wear like lacy, like 
had a like shirt and then like a, a lacy thing over it because like it was it was like the 2010s and stuff like something not particularly uncommon during that time period especially for around my age um but then like also like long black skirts that were like down to my ankles and stuff and like flats not never been a heels person that like pray with them and they just kind of accepted me by my new name okay i remember like one time standing in line for confession and this religious older religious sister who definitely knew who i was she looked at me and she just kind of smiled and waved she knew me from before i transitioned i've heard a lot of stories about this about um church environments just kind of being like very nonchalant about um people's transitions like some of them are and some of them aren't it, it's it's very strange um i felt welcome like this has been the church that i had been going to since i was a little kid so it, it's like home to me and i felt like i belong and like it was where i was meant to be and to connect to it and it was like being accepted for the most part as a girl there like <clears throat> it made me feel like my gender identity was yes definitely a girl um but like also really kind of like sealed in my identity as a catholic but leaving and coming back and being a girl and like belong to the church as a girl And honestly, like, if people had reacted negatively then, I probably would have left and never come back to being Catholic. But, like, since then, like, I've, I've always felt attached to the church and Catholicism stuff. And, like, so my mom convinced me to move to Canada, where housing was cheaper and school was cheaper. And I did. <clears throat> And so my mom had, like, initially she came back, she moved in with uh, my grandparents because they had three kids and they each had their own bedroom for when they were kids. And so my mom and her two siblings, my two my, my two siblings, each had their own bedroom. And she was able to, like, rent a place. And I kind of moved in with them. Um, and she was able, and I was there um, one day and... I had been like at home in like girl clothes and stuff. And then my uncle came by to drop stuff by and demand, like, he knew I was home. Uh, and then he just demanded that I come down. I forgot why. And I, I didn't, like, didn't want to come down. He, like, demand, he started yelling and demanding I come down. And then I came down. And he saw me dressed femininely. He just he just lost it. And just started verbally abusing me. And like ordered I sit down and just like he was going at it for a while. My brother was there and he, he was even liking to go and like to catch the bus during that period. <clears throat> and he remembered like at least he definitely at least ten minutes of just my uncle verbally abusing me. And then he reacted pretty badly. And then he uh, told my grandmother. And she also didn't like it. And um, the two of them convinced my mom to like 
pushback against me being trans. And it was never stated, but like I was very scared that if I didn't detransition, I would end up homeless. And so it's like with Eden Knight, like I, I didn't know her. I mean, I think I'd seen like a couple of her tweets, like the one about the people seeing like the picture in the, in the ID and then like looking at her now, bang her tweet, uh, on you Eden, wherever you are now. Um, but yeah, like I felt sympathy with her. Like I could relate to her. Brown trans girl and like functionally lured to a different country on false pretenses. And forced the detransition by like my family. Um, and it was actually super strange because my dad's parents were very conservative. Diehard Republicans and stuff. Fox News watchers. And they were okay with me being trans. I don't know. Might have been because, like, my conception of a trans woman and, like, performing a trans woman, like, was very stereotypical, at least at the beginning. And so I could see, like, I was genuinely trying to properly conform to it. And, like, I think I'd mentioned to them, like, I wasn't pursuing, like, dating or anything. And they just kind of accepted it, which is also really strange because they didn't accept my mother originally because my mom is brown and they didn't like that that my white dad married a brown woman. <clears throat> but yeah, uh, they they were accepting of me being trans, but like my mom's family didn't. Uh, it was bad, especially when I ran out of hormones and I didn't have like a doctor to refill them and stuff. And my mental health just started going downhill and I tried to start school. Um, and I had enough intelligence that like for the shorter assignments, I could pick it up fairly fast and just nail it out pretty quick. But the longer assignments, I just didn't have a will to live. Um, and so like when you have no desire to be alive in a month, like the month-long projects, like, how do you come up with the energy and the concentration to do it? And I did that for two years, and I ended up, like, failing out. And um, I started getting involved with my, like, local city, um, and, like, attending meetings and stuff, and that was pretty cool, actually. And, like, I basically skipped class to go watch city council stuff, and I got involved with that. I'm still involved with that stuff. And, like, getting angry about that kind of stuff, like, stuff involved with that actually gave me a lot of energy because, like, I saw a lot of injustice about what was going on and how things weren't going well and hurting people, and I tried to, like, deal with that. And the anger from that, like, helped sustain me. And I started studying my current program. Your current, and your, your school program, or? Yeah, I changed majors. Okay. Um, <clears throat> yeah, so I changed majors and something like city related, and um, I felt more interest in that. But and I'd like by this point, I'd like started using my girl name again, uh, and changed at school, and so I was still presenting as a guy because I didn't have feminine 
my like my feminine clothes are all buried. Um, I'm just afraid to wear them outside the house and stuff. Yeah, I started going by my girl name, which is a little confusing for people because my name's pretty feminine. My girl name. <clears throat> I have I've noticed like a lot of trans women will go for like hyper feminine like vintage names. Right. That just like doesn't that doesn't fit with like when we were born or whatever. But it's like screw that. Yeah. <clears throat> right. Screw screw normal names. I'm picking my own damn. Right, the, the the grandma name stereotype. Yeah. Oh yeah. I consider Dorothy. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. My I I don't know. I mean Jolene, right? That's a pretty I don't know. I always just get people talking about the Dolly Parton song. Fine. <laughs> oh god. That must suck. It's fine. I use it as I'm a, I'm a server, right? So I use it. I tell people like if you need me, you can just sing the song, and they always smile <laughs> and laugh. And I think it actually does help my tips. I think I I get more tips when I um <laughs> when I say that than when I don't. Um, well, service worker life, huh? Sorry, what was that? I said trans girl service worker life, like customer service. Uh, yeah, but um. Yeah, so, yeah, that's how it goes, right? Yeah, so, um, like, I started my program, and that was good. Yeah, that's great. And good. then during the pandemic happened, and then I'm sort of, like, a pandemic transitioner, like, kind of reflect on your own mortality and stuff, right? Also, I sort of got sick, like, in mid-March. It could have been psychosomatic. I don't know. Because I wasn't like coughing or anything, but like I had no like zero energy. Mm-hmm. And like two months later, my hair started falling out. And it might sound pretty shallow, but like the hair falling out thing really fucked with me. No, I mean, I think that that's like a that's a very important like, I don't know, gender marker. And I definitely understand that. And I was like, oh shit, I need to like medically retransition. And I tried to get a family doctor and eventually been to her like it's trans on one of the hormones and she just like had this look of disgust and then tried to hide it and just admitted like she well like told me it's like she didn't know how to do that and like you know, it's like a family doctor could if they wanted to, but like I understand like if a family doctor's not comfortable and she clearly didn't like me being trans, so she referred me to an endocrinologist and I'm like I don't need to see an endocrinologist. I just need a doctor who cares not to do it. But he also, he's like, oh yeah, well, I don't really know how to do this trans stuff. And like, like you're you're an endocrinologist. Like, your job is literally hormones. What the fuck? You definitely have the knowledge to. You just don't want to. Right? Yeah. (laughs) There's a huge doctor. There's a big doctor shortage where I am. So like, I probably could have reported his ass. But like, do you really want to have, get hormone from someone who, like, clearly isn't comfortable with trans people? Like, probably yeah. do some terrible job. Um, and eventually referred me to a doctor who treats a bunch of trans, trans people. And she's, she's pretty good. Um, and telehealth help, because she's not close by. It's like 30 miles away or something. Uh, you have to drive for, like, an hour to go 
see here. Like, I was able to start hormones again. And then, and then it came out to family. And that, that was good. Um, like, my mom, and she sort of accepted, I think, because, like, she forced me to detransition. But then the fact that, like, I was back and, like, it had been clear that, like, my internal gender identity had never wavered. She started kind of terms of like, no, this this is just how my kid is. Um, and then she, like, my sister was getting married, and she's going to her, host an engagement party. My sister had, like, known that I was trans for a number of years and been supportive. And she was like, my sister, like, told me, like, I should be out at her engagement party. And I, and I told my mom, um, my mom was like, yeah, you have, to, you have to be out before your sister's wedding. Um, like, well before then. And so she made me individually call every single guest on the engagement party list. 2,000 people. Talk to them, each and every single one individually. And that wasn't as bad as I thought it would be. And they were mostly supportive, except my uncle, who had forced me to detransition. And he, like, he, like, berated me for, like, literally an hour on the phone. Okay, actually, I think it might have been, like, 55 minutes, according to, like, how long my phone had logged. But, like, and I realized, like, this this wasn't motivated by religion. It was, like, just just raw bigotry. Jesus. Like, like just yeah. disgusting. And, like, oh, yeah, like, well, one of my coworkers is a gay man. He doesn't get this trans stuff either. Just like being a jerk. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> he, he's he's got this caustic attitude like that. It's it, it's pretty bad that kind of stuff. And like, oh yeah. Um, one of the things that it actually pushed me to to uh, de transition is my mom didn't want me to go to the local parish like as a girl because like we also had family members who went through usually for a different time but she didn't want them to see me huh. and that was actually one of the big things because they like really still wanted to go to church but then going trying to go and wait a minute, I, I there, there's just something psychologically that, that I just, just just can't do it right Yeah. So uh, now that I've retransitioned and stuff, I've been able to do it, and I've been going again to daily mass. There's no kind of like group of church ladies, but like, yeah, I've been really getting more involved in that. And yeah, the whole same thing. Like, even when I go to church, I have to feel more dressed more femininely and stuff. It's like it's it's like being forced feminized by Jesus, right? Well. <laughs> That was something you mentioned, and it's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we've been going for quite a while, and I, I, I do want to keep going for a little bit longer, at least, because I sure. wanna, but I also do want to kind of start moving us towards wrapping it up, though, and uh, yeah, this is like yeah. the sort of thing that I know we mentioned um, a little bit uh, when we were talking in the DMs before this, you were talking a little bit about, yeah, the, in the sort of, um, a lot of, like, the bridal theology stuff, right, and, um, 
I don't know, you made some sort of, like, comparisons between, like, uh, Catholic practices and, like, BDSM. Oh, yeah. And and various sorts of things like that. And I, I, don't know, I was curious if you wanted to talk about any of that stuff now. Oh, absolutely, yeah. So, like, the Catholic Church, like, in a lot of it, it's like Christ is the bridegroom and, and the church is the bride. But, like, by extension, that also means the individual, like, Catholic and also the bride and so it's like if you're a cis guy that that's kind of hard to to cope with but if you're trans girl like no no you can relate to jesus christ as your your like husband like the or whatever the husband and like just lean into it like people like what is that i forgot what that claim was like oh well agp trans women are like into men it's like meta attraction or something but it's just, like, the idea of being in a relationship with a guy, and, like, I think that's, like, bullshit, sort of, but I think, like, a lot of gender is actually relational. Like, if you're a cis woman attracted to other women, like, it, like, modifies it how it interacts with your gender and stuff. And, like, for trans girl, it's, like, if you're in a relationship with a guy... Part of it is like it's seen as more valid, but like part of it's also like in relation to the masculinity, you feel more feminine, and so uh, like really like leaning into the bridal theology and seeing myself as a bride of Christ has really helped me come to terms with like accepting being trans because I never really wanted to transition it was like i had to do it out of a sense of religious obligation <clears throat> and there's been a very spiritual experience of being trans about like seeing it as like a journey and it's like some of the consequences of original sin of Adam and Eve eating the apple or well, the fruit in the garden being cast out as like disabilities and birth defects and stuff. And like, I, I was kind of negative in some ways, but like I sort of view transness as a consequence. That doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with being trans. It's just a natural consequence. It's like, You know, like some people are born deaf and that doesn't make them any less people and it's not a sinful thing. And it's like we don't have issues. Oh, okay. Actually, Piosetti does have issues with like trying to make accommodations for deaf people and like bothering to learn sign language. But like theoretically, like, right. there's no moral issue. Yeah. There's no moral issue. But the theoretically, now whether people care enough to make accommodations. That's a different story, but like, there's nothing morally wrong with that, right? And so it's like making adjustments for it. Like, I don't think that there's anything wrong or sinful about being trans. And like, part of it is like the negative consequences are that like God doesn't will them to happen; He permits them to happen for something else. And I think a lot of it is like being trans causes you to interrogate your gender and like explore gender and how all of that stuff works 
in a way, it is it's very difficult for a cis person to end up like needing to do even a fraction of it. It's like the meme about like talking about gender with trans people, Plato in the Academy, talking about gender with cis people, a mom and her her child is playing with blocks. Right. <laughs> like there's just this depth to it, like exploring it and stuff. And like part of it is I'm autistic and have a little obsessive uh, OCD obsessive specifically, like constantly distressed about am I pleasing God and <clears throat> am I doing the right thing? And that's just caused me to just plunge deeply into Catholic theology to see how do I fit in and how I belong. And the Catholic Church overall hasn't really come out with anything about that. But the US bishops have come out super negative against trans people in a lot of ways but their arguments are just so bad and it's like it's not it's like so bad it's not actually binding on trans people because it's the catholic priest talks to a trans person for like 10 minutes it's like this is entirely different from what the bishops are talking about their arguments are irrelevant to this i've talked to a bunch of very conservative catholic priests and None of them have had issues with being being trans because they look at it's like they look at it's like I haven't actually committed any sins and stuff, and they're like, well, the bishops will be like, oh, well, like trying to change your sex or your sex is a sin. It's like, but like we'll talk about like sex reassignment surgery, but like changing your sex but in some ways like trans people aren't that's not what trans people are doing it's like becoming more embodied right like catholicism has this whole hylomorphic view of man where we're both a body and a soul but they're not two separate things they're an integral part of the person and it's like dissociation is kind of like there is that rupture between them like the body is like a source of distress and you dissociate from it and transitioning allows you to embrace the body and really truly become an embodied person and it's just so different from what the bishops are talking about and i've looked back at like historic theology and like and then there was a leaked vatican thing and it seems like maybe the church will accept trans people They sort of do accept trans people in in the draft leaked document, but I don't know when that's going to come out. And like, there was this document I I shared with you um, that's just like from 1975, and like, just these like old dudes on the panel, these guys would have all been born like before World War II and stuff, and they come to the conclusion, so the church has a whole like court system uh, for civil cases. The Roman road is the highest court. So you don't do divorce. You have to go through and see if a marriage is, is, if a marriage is invalid to begin with, then it's declared null that it didn't happen. And you're free to marry again because you're not remarrying. You just were never validly married. And this, the the wife is like, Oh, well the marriage is invalid because my husband's my ex my ex is a transsexual and like believes himself to a woman, so he's gotta be either delusional, like crazy and not able to consent to it, 
or just like trying to throw out a number of reasons about why the marriage was invalid. And the court looks at it and like looks at the latest scientific evidence at that time, which is all Harry Benjamin stuff. <clears throat> and it's like, no, be being trans doesn't const like this person's don't want to admit they're being a tra they're transsexual, but to the courts or any of the like people, the court officials and stuff, but he's clearly a transsexual. Like he admitted to his wife that like he's always felt himself to be a girl, like ever since he was small, and prefers to just dress and live consistently as a woman, and is unable to engage in sex, like unless he's like as a woman, and they just kind of like lived like that for a number of years and stuff, and then like also goes through and talks about like church history of intersex people and they just end up coming to this conclusion that that's basically like a self-id acceptance thing which is just like actually kind of based for like 1975 yeah <laughs> it's just like just like what self-id is okay in 1975 what? but yeah it's just like I don't know if you ever heard the joke about uh, Catholics arguing about how many angels would could fit on the head of a pin. Yeah. So like they released in the Middle Ages, they got into like some really esoteric stuff. Um, and one of the conceptions was so like you know there's like intersex people and like conditions that we call like pseudohermaphroditism. Well, they started pondering like, what if, what if there's a person that was born that was a true hermaphrodite? Could they marry? a man or a woman. And the conclusion was, is that actually because marriage is a corporeal thing, it's actually about the parts and how they fit, and so this person could marry either a man or a woman. <clears throat> but they had to pick one way or the other to how they would order their life. And so they'd look at things, like how the per like part of it was like looking at how like the genitals and stuff, and like part of it's like the body overall, like secondary characteristics like breasts and hair and stuff. But also part of it was based on like how they conducted their life. And in a case where the person they couldn't really tell, like the courts couldn't really make a determination, it was up to that person. And so ultimately that person was able to identify as if they were a, if they were a man or a woman. And that was pretty cool. And so they kind of like took that, the court took this and just kind of extended it. Like, well, brain sex is part of the sex of a person. And there's no teachings on one part of it has to matter more. And so like, if the person can't like, ident like, I got that document right. right here, but it's just like, if the person's just like unable to like, be yeah if um so, so the quote is so that transsexuals feel like the soul of a man in the body of a woman or vice versa without hope being had being had of return of the psychological sex the original sex nothing uh, prevents predominance from being attributed to psychological sex so it's effectively they're saying like if if, if you feel like you just like, if a trans one feels like she's, there's just no way she's going to be able to be a man, then, like, her internal gender identity can actually be a determination. Yes, she can, for the most part, order her life specifically 
and live as a woman. Which I found very positive and has been really helpful just like accepting myself theologically. And every priest I've showed it to, they're like, theologically, this all checks out. I can't actually argue why this is wrong. I can't actually come up with the reason why this is wrong. So I was like, okay. Even like very, very conservative ones. So it's really helped me feel like I belong in the church. And like, I've also started thinking, like spending a lot of times being a Catholic in very trans spaces. Like that's, that's a weird feeling to, to be like in very queer spaces about like being very religious. And one of the things I kind of noticed was like, you can get away with almost anything regarding yourself as long as you frame it like a kink, basically. <laughs> like, like basically, they'll be like, uh, like it feels like a like if you're like some queer space, you'd be like, yes, I enjoy like literally eating shit. Like, as long as you frame it like a kink that is coprophilic kink, they'll be like cool with it. <laughs> just like the most out there stuff and so like <clears throat> part of that caused of like framing and reinterpreting it almost like my, my religious nature as like uh s submission and like like it's actually like a power exchange relationship or just like a total power exchange relationship where i'm just kind of like given myself over and the control and am obeying and stuff and like people are like actually that it's like kind of interesting and like they don't have a problem after that for me being like super kind of like but also like i'm not like judgy about it and i just like loving people and caring about people and like if someone's a trans woman in a polycule and she's like living with two of her like partners and is dating like third people like that I'm like, yeah, okay. So I'm not like one of those like reactionaries who like hate trans people and stuff. Like they're pretty cool about that. But it's like by like reinterpreting it for presenting it like about that, I've kind of like started internalizing it as like that. And I've started to think about it, and like Catholicism has like some very like dominance and submission things. So like um, I don't know, do you remember seeing like the Dan Brown books, like the Da Vinci Code or whatever? Yeah. Or like Angels and Demons. Well, there's the whole thing about Opus Day and like the flogging and stuff. And like yes, actually corporal mortification. It's like overall the Dan Brown books are just like absolute nonsense. Um, but like corporal mortification involving like vlogging and stuff is very much a thing about like disciplining the flesh. And I don't remember if I sent you an image to it, but there's some a, a, a specific thing called a discipline, which is just like this looks like a flogger, just like a hardcore kind of flogger that like actually causes like can cause pain and stuff. It's like this knot. It's like this rope cord thing with like these knots and stuff and it's like all sorts of like causing pain and that kind of stuff 
um, thinking about like if Lent and Easter's coming up, I think it's in the Philippines. There's this practice of um, people like going and recreating the crucifixion where they actually get nailed to crosses. Like literally nailed yeah. to it, like through their body. And like, this feels like extreme, like masochism right here. And then it's just also like how you fit in in like a religious order about like the control and stuff and like transferring authority and like obedience and submission here. Like, I feel like a lot of trans women would have kind of like ended up in like religious communities just because like there's, you can have like the whole household view of Christ. But also, like, a monastery would often be big enough that it has to be, like, entirely self-contained. And so you wind up with a lot of the chores that are seen as, like, quote-unquote women's work. And so it feels to me like a bunch of trans women would have, like, ended up doing that and felt pretty okay about that. And, like, being more gender non-conforming because, like, the amount of queerness going on historically in, in um, monasteries and stuff was pretty wild and like after vatican II, a bunch of religious sisters left and just became high profile lesbians um and for regrettably one of those was janice raymond right i was going to say <laughs> i know i know about that one but like there, there's a number of other high profile ones and like there's absolutely like this huge streak of like women loving women in monasteries and like you wind up with like masculine and feminine roles, but they all have to be filled by like one sex there. And then there's like Marina the monk, who was like the saint from more than a thousand years ago. And she's she's got just these massive trans vibes to her. Like monk is a male coded thing, but yeah, I was gonna Marina's say. a girl's name. It's like okay, so like what's going on here? so her dad was a widower she her uh, mom died when she was young and he's like wanting to get her married um so he can go to join a go join a monastery and she's just like she's not having this and so she's got a counter off she will cut her hair short live as a man and they will both enter the monastery together and so they do, and she like lives as a guy, and no one else knows that she's female and like living in there. And so she's just this brother, and one day the monks are going into town, and this innkeeper's daughter has become pregnant from a soldier, and it's not really elaborate on whether that was consensual or not in like hagiography, but like he had claimed that the soldier told her like effectively. Blame it on Brother Marinos, and so uh, she does. Then Keeper's daughter does, and so Mar Brother Marinos is thrown out and given the baby to raise, and just kind of like just just accepts the punishment. And eventually, like the monks all feel bad and let Brother Marinos back in. Um, and then Brother Marinos dies, and they're like, they're going to prepare the body, and they're like, oh shit. Oh shit. They realize that they're, they're looking at what is basically a female, and they're like, hang on. 
So this guy's been here for like 20 years. He's been female. And we kicked him out for raping and impregnating a woman. And he just took this punishment. But like female is like, what? The brain is just like fried at this. Um, and like, I don't know. Like, serious trans mask vibes there. Right. Would rather be falsely accused of being raped and punished for that than ad- admit that, like, no, actually, the sex is female. But, like, so t- to me, she's kind of like the patron saint of trans people. And it's like, well, what if she didn't have, like, gender dysphoria or whatever? It's like, well, St. Lawrence is the patron saint of cooks, and his relation to cooks is that he was uh, roasted to death. <laughs> Catholicism just has this just like this insanely macabre thing and he's alleged to have told them turn me over I'm done on this side (laughs) (laughs) so like if a saint can be the patron saint of cooks for being roasted to death I'm pretty sure someone who goes and lives most of their life just completely in a way just entirely incongruent with, with, with their both sex can they can be the patron saint of trans people. And then there's like <clears throat> Catholicism like with the feminelli. Do you know about those? No, what's that? Okay, so you know how there's the hijra, right? Yeah. Like the the the, the, the like trans femme genders. Well, so interestingly, there is sort of that in southern Italy, specifically around Naples. Oh, you know what I have I have heard about this. I mean, continue because the audience probably hasn't, but yeah. Yeah, so uh, it's kind of like been a long uh, established thing there. And so you'll get like boys who are just like super feminine and they're just going to like end up sort of like sort of socially transitioning and like sort of living as women as far as I can tell. Like they're still sort of gendered as men, but adopt, adopt women's roles and live as women sort of. And dress as women, and then there's like rich, there's like rituals and stuff associated with it, <clears throat> like a, a fertility ritual where um, the feminelli um, are like symbolically like giving birth or whatever to a child, and then there's like this whole like wedding ceremony thing involving one of them, and that's pretty cool. But then there's also um, <clears throat> a monastery with this giant picture of Our Lady. Uh, who's who's known as Mama Shiavana, uh, the slave mama, and the, the rumor has the, the uh, story behind that is that there were these two gay lovers um, who were uh, they got found out and um, they got like run out of town and then tied like tied up and like beaten very badly and left for dead, and then Our Lady comes and uh, restores them to help and saves them and then they just kind of like uh, wander into town um, like nothing had happened <laughs> and so like the, the oldest like queer pride parade is actually a catholic religious thing about like people going up every year to like the shrine and it's like a bunch of like trans women slash trans femme people doing it. And uh. it's it's very strange. It's been going on for a long time. The monastery is actually built on the ruins of um, 
an ancient temple to Sybil. Oh, uh, yeah. So it's like, yeah. hang on, wait, wait. Did Catholics just hijack the the ancient Greek goddess Sybil and have been doing this for like two thousand years? What? Because um, so the context for those who aren't aware, <clears throat> I may not be pronouncing the goddess's name correctly, but like she had been served by priestesses who were also sort of trans femme, like Amab, and got castrated and wore women's clothes and all of this kind of stuff. And so folk Catholicism has some very, like, ancient things going on that it's like, yeah, 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 we, we hijacked this too. You, you keep complaining, and we're going to take Shark Week too to turn it into a commemorating the, the blood of the martyrs. Right. <laughs> Because, like, oh, he's, like, Christmas is, like, some pagan hijack. It's like, yeah, watch me. I'll take something else if you keep this. Okay, Toyota thought we've now taken Toyota thought. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> but, yeah, there's just, like, all sorts of just, like, queer currents running through Catholicism. And it's messy, and it comes to sexuality and gender and stuff. And, like... I don't know. It seems like mo- I don't know if there's anyone who even read that's really identified as like a practicing Christian at this point. But yeah, it's I'm a practicing Christian and I'm practicing Catholic, and I feel like I belong at my parish, and like I genuinely have a place. And the theology and the stuff sort of supports it. But like if if you're trying to join like the church in the U.S., don't be surprised if like. A, priest as a shithead because like a bunch of the bishops have been awful and have like just gone into the culture war brainworms stuff it's it's pretty rough yeah 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 it's like i don't know is there anything else you had questions about i think that kind of like wraps it up yeah i feel like that really does (laughs) it ended a little bit on a lighter note yeah, much lighter now. I'm, I'm glad of that. I think that's good. Um, thank you so much for coming here. I really appreciate you uh, sharing your your life and um, your faith and and all that stuff with us. This was a really a really really interesting conversation, and I'm I'm glad that I was able to be a part of it. Thank you. Um, much love. Yeah. Is there anything you want to plug at the end or? Uh, advise people to check out i guess i i don't know yeah um not sure um i i actually know a bunch of trans people who are practicing catholics and uh one of us bought it someone else bought a domain name involving that and hopefully in the next couple months we'll start getting like articles and stuff on there my twitter my twitter i'm not really out like i'll talk about a lot of catholic stuff and trans stuff but not, I'm not out per se as trans on it, so I don't want to like plug it. I don't know if there's some way like if someone is Catholic and they want to like need help talking to like family members about it, because I think I could do a pretty good job of explaining like transness in a Catholic context to people. I don't know if I like had a like set up some way that like messages can be passed to me. I can, if, if people want to message me either through my personal account or the show account or um, if they want to like email the 
the show's email is winaguyhas at gmail.com if if that's for some reason a more convenient way to contact me. Um, if you just get yeah. in contact with me somehow, I can pass this message on to Marie. Um, I'd be more yeah, than happy. Because like even if you're even if they're not like a practicing Catholic, if they need someone to talk to like Catholic family members or how you can explain it to them, I'd be happy to do that. Like there's no particular reason like Catholic the the, the Catholic theology necessarily opposes trans people. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. Um, if that's if that's something that uh, anyone in the audience needs, I'd be more than happy to help uh, set up that connection. Um, thank you. Yeah, absolutely. It's my pleasure. And thank I'm you, too. as I was saying, and thank you to the audience for for being here. And um, yeah, what were you, what were you about to say? Oh no, that, that was it. Uh, just oh, okay. Bye. <laughs> Thanks for the opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. And um, also, you know, check out the Patreon. Um, as I said, there's the sci-fi episode coming hopefully in just a couple days after I upload this episode. And um, I don't know. I've got some more fun stuff in the in the in the tank. I've got some more fun plans coming. I've got lots of ideas. I'm trying to trying to make happen. So. Um, yeah. Thank you. Uh, thank you. Finally, to Marie. <laughs>